0: and uh, when he concluded his prayer shortly thereafter he got an answer from God showing some things that would occur and actually more so than for him and the people in those days he heard what would occur to the people here in the end times that was the answer that God gave more about us now than it was about Daniel and the Jews then so I said on reading that because Daniel had set himself to fast, that maybe it was a good time to fast and pray that maybe this ninth month twenty fourth day, which is coming up, I think December twenty third, if I if we're looking at the calendar right, anyway, uh, within a day or two of that. But it appears to be the twenty third, might be the ninth month twenty fourth day, and Haggai uh, tells us that God would bless us from that day and upward. So what, are, what I'm hoping and we are hoping is that this might be the year that that occurs and some of the th- things that happen in worldwide and that have happened to us seem to set a pattern indicating that this coming year could be a time of blessing. Now, understand that we're not expecting all the blessings of all the Bible to be poured out in one day. Uh, it's clear in Joel 2 that the, fir- the former and latter rains come in the first month. So, huge blessings probably will come in, a, in the first month, but when God says, from this day and upward, I will bless you, uh, I, I assume certainly that it would be something that would be uh, discernible, uh, but it wouldn't be everything that he has promised us throughout the prophecies that will occur during this day and age. So we can look forward to hoping that this is the year and uh, that day, December 23rd, does follow or does fall on this coming Friday and then the festival of dedication begins the next day on the weekly Sabbath and goes for eight days through the next Sabbath. So we're going to gather here on each of those evenings through those eight days and sing a few hymns and say a prayer and And uh, just give thanks to God for cleansing the temple. And we're hoping that the spiritual temple will also be cleansed. He says, as I read, I think, last week, that our sins would be wiped out in one day there in Zechariah 3. And disappear like a cloud in Isaiah 44. So uh, we're looking for forgiveness and mercy, just as Daniel was. And that's why we're fasting today, that God might show His mercy and forgiveness and bless us in spite of ourselves. And today, I'm going to tie this in with the Sabbath. Uh, the weekly Sabbath in particular <laughs> is where we'll start. And let's ask a question. Why is Sabbath-keeping and even strict Sabbath-keeping so important. Now, we can understand and have read and have proved that Saturday is the seventh day, is the Sabbath that God instituted, and we understand that it ought to be kept. Uh, Why, though? Why is it so important? Uh, Even people in the world can look at uh, murder and killing, theft, adultery, and lying, and that type of thing, and see how it disrupts people's lives, how those sins dis- hurt people, how they uh, cause problems in society when those things occur. But whether you keep Saturday or Sunday or Wednesday doesn't change neighbor relationships, <laughs> you know. It isn't uh, something that puts you in jail for at the moment. So, why is the Sabbath so important? To be kept. <clears throat> Some people will say, well, it doesn't really matter which day as long as you keep one out of seven. It can be Sunday or Wednesday or Friday or whatever. I've heard that reasoning many, many times over the years. And what's the answer to that one? Well, you'd say God said to keep the seventh. So you can't keep just any day because God said it. But I want to explore that a little deeper today as to why it is so important that it is the seventh day and why God designated that one. You know, He could have designated any day He wished, but He designated the seventh day. So there has to be something very, very important involved. Let's go to Genesis 2, where the Sabbath was actually created. And here it says in Genesis 2, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them... And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. So it was the day that God rested after having worked six days, and God blessed the seventh day. Well, there would be one reason right there. It's a day that's been blessed by God and sanctified it, sanctifying meaning to set aside for a special purpose. And then he says, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. So it signified a time when God rested from his work and from a wonderful creation that he had made. Now let's go on to Exodus 20. And read the Sabbath command, keeping in mind that conditions in the Garden of Eden at that time when God made it were perfect. Man had no problems. Man was secure. Satan wasn't around. Uh, The weather was perfect. The food was perfect. The living conditions were perfect. There were no... uh, Relationship problems between people. Adam and Eve at that point were getting along perfectly in the short while since they had been created. And everything was beautiful. The earth and mankind and everything on the earth that God had made was very good. And God looked at it that way and rested. And I'm sure He looked back on His creation on that day and thought about it, surmised on it, and was uh, pleased at what he had accomplished during that week. So bear that in mind as we go on through here, because that point will be important, the conditions that surrounded uh, God and man when the Sabbath was instituted. Now here in Exodus 20, uh, down in verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, now, God had created it, and they had gone into captivity in Mitzrayim, and they would forgotten the Sabbath. <laughs> they had also forgotten God. didn't know who he was. Who is this God you're telling us about, they said. So here, in the Sabbath command, Moses writes it that way. Remember it. Don't forget it anymore. And, not only remember it, but to keep it, hold it. So the Sabbath day is designated as a holy time. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. Those aren't holy days. They're not holy time. You can do your work. You can accomplish the things you need to do to make a living, to make life perk. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the eternal your God. In it you shall not do any work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, your cattle, nor the stranger that is within your gates. So nobody is to work on the Sabbath. They were to keep the Sabbath. And we'll get some more scripture in a little bit about how the Sabbath is to be kept and what might be restricted and what might be allowed on the Sabbath. So it's not just for you. If you are a head of household then you are responsible to see to it that everyone in your household, whether it be animal or relative or whoever, keeps the Sabbath, that they do not violate it. Uh, That could be a tall order in some cases, when you have people in the family who do not obey God and don't want to serve Him and are rebellious or whatever might be the case. Uh, Not any work to be done. I had an experience with uh, a daughter who was 18 or more. might have been 19. I don't remember for sure. But we were in Charlotte at the time and she came to me one day and said, Dad, I've decided to take a job that requires me to work on the Sabbath. And she says, Should I move out? So I thought about it a little bit and I said, Yes, I think you should. And she was very concerned about Uh, her mother and I, and what, what effect it would have if she didn't keep the Sabbath. So she considered my situation and the job that I had working in the church, and she knew that if she was living at home and working on the Sabbath, that that would not look good and would not be a good situation. So she volunteered to move out. We were getting along fine. She wasn't in a rebellious state or anything. We, I mean, she just decided that a church at that point was not for her and she was going to work. So I helped her find a place to live and helped, helped her move and get her, helped get her set up in that sense. Uh, and that's what she did. And she still respects the church and us today and our beliefs. And she says, if I ever do get religious, I know where I'm going. But... Uh, That's not the case at the moment, but I think it would have been breaking this command had she stayed in our house as a daughter and worked on the Sabbath. So it was time for her to move on, and she recognized that. So as head of household, uh, I probably should have at some point required it. If they're not going to follow God's law, then they shouldn't be in my household. They should be somewhere else doing their own thing. For in six days the Eternal made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. So, he says, nobody's to work on that day. Anywhere in your household. Animals, anything. Wherefore, the Eternal blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. Hallowed means made holy. uh, Set apart for a very specific purpose. (coughs) Now, let's notice in Deuteronomy 5, it's, it's written a little bit differently here. There's an additional point I want to make that Moses makes here that he didn't make in Exodus. Uh, chapter 5, and let's see. Uh, verse 12. <coughs> Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it. We're to sanctify it. God set it aside, and we're to do the same thing. As the eternal your God has commanded you, six days shall you labor and do all your work. But the seventh is the Sabbath of the eternal, your God. You'll not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, your ox, your ass, or any of your cattle, nor a stranger that is within your gates, an employee, a visitor. uh, They were all to take off. That your manservant and your maidservant may rest as well as you. So they get the day off. Now, he makes an important point here in verse 15. And remember that you were a servant in the land of Mitzrayim, and that the Eternal your God brought you out there from there through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore the Eternal your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So there being sprung from Mitzrayim in 430 years of slavery was very, very much involved in God's reinstituting and demanding the Sabbath day. And he even brings it up in the Sabbath command here when Moses rewrites it in Deuteronomy. That it has to do with deliverance. That it has to do from getting away from oppression and slavery and evil. Now bear that in mind as well, because it's going to become very, very important. A little bit further on the, down the line here. From slavery to freedom, he also taught them about it. I won't turn there for sake of time, but Exodus 16:25, he start starts talking about uh, sending the manna, and how it wouldn't come on the seventh day, and if they would prepare ahead of time. On the preparation day, they were to gather uh, what they would need for the Sabbath because it wouldn't be there. They didn't believe God, and went out, and lo and behold, it wasn't there. And if they they picked it up the wrong time, it bred worms and stank. They were only supposed to follow certain guidelines, and they did not do that. So, the Sabbath then is involved with whether God will feed and will bless us. But it has to do with making preparation ahead of time for the Sabbath that is coming. So, The Sabbath is called a preparation day in the New Testament, and God indeed made it a preparation day, that they were to gather the food, they were to prepare the food ahead of time, so it would be there for the Sabbath. That's why we do our cooking for Sabbath potluck on Friday. We don't do the cooking on the Sabbath, because it is to be prepared ahead of time. I don't know that doesn't mean you can't keep it warm or heat it up, but it's already prepared. It's already done. It's already made. You know, you can be a Jew and say, well, all right, we have cheese here and we have bread here. The bread is made and the cheese is made, but uh, it would be wrong to cut a slice of cheese and lay it on the bread. Uh, then you're getting pharisaical, but the bread and the cheese should have been made ahead of time. We'll see a little bit of that later on, of what some of the balance is. Now let's go to Exodus uh, 31. Exodus 31, and we've used this one to show that the Sabbath is a sign between God and His people. But there's a little more in the context that bears are looking at. So let's uh, let's go to verse 13 of Exodus 31. Speak you also to the children of Israel, saying, Truly, my Sabbaths you shall keep. A reiteration here of that. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Eternal that does sanctify you. So the Sabbath is to be an eternal sign that God sanctifies us. So it's not just the Sabbath that is sanctified, but the Sabbath is used as a sign that we can be set aside for what? For salvation. That's what the New Testament or New Covenant promise is, is salvation. So the Sabbath sets us aside. The world out there doesn't keep the Sabbath for the most part. There are a few religions that do, but not very many, and they don't understand it or what it means. So it has to do with our opportunity at salvation. Now, there's a pretty good reason (laughs) to keep the Sabbath, because if you don't keep it, you won't get salvation. You're not sanctified, because the Sabbath is part of what the sanctification is all about. Verse 14, You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. It's holy time. Go back and read about holiness and all that the priests and Aaron and all of them had to go through in order to be considered holy. All the washings and the cleansings and the putting on of certain garments and clean garments. Uh, holiness was something that had to be worked at. It didn't come automatically. So the holiness and the Sabbath have to be paired together. What we do on the Sabbath is to cause that day to be used as holiness. For everyone that defiles it shall surely be put to death. Now, that's pretty strong. If you don't keep the Sabbath, you'll be put to death. Now, that's true in the New Testament as well. If we don't keep God's Sabbath, we will be put to eternal death. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Read the Ten Commandments back in Revelation 22. It says no thief, no liar, no adulterer, any of that category will be in the kingdom of God. The Ten Commandments, if we break them. The Sabbath's one of them. You cannot enter into life eternal unless you keep God's holy seventh Sabbath day. For whosoever does any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. So God would cut you off and if you broke the Sabbath you were to be put to death then that certainly cuts you off from among his people. Six days may work be done but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest. Doesn't give any allowance for first day or sixth day or fifth day. It's the Sabbath of rest holy to the eternal. Whosoever does any work in the Sabbath day he shall surely be put to death. Now that's Double jeopardy there. He said it twice in this very context. In other words, this is to be done. And not only is it to be done, I'm going to say it again. (coughs) You don't keep the Sabbath, you're to die. (coughs) And under the administration of death in the Old Testament, you would be stoned. Literally put to death if you worked on the Sabbath. Now that was the law, that was the rule. Israel didn't always follow it, mind you, but that was the rule. He he says it again, It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the eternal made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses, when he had made an end of communing with him on Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone, written with the finger of God. And we're talking here in context about the Sabbath commandment the fourth commandment. So he says, this Sabbath commandment is written by the very finger of God. So don't take it lightly. (coughs) So God rested and was refreshed. And here again, he talks about creation. And remember that conditions for mankind were perfect in the time that the Sabbath was instituted. Again, bear that in mind it will become important as we go on. Now let's go to Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56. And we will find that the prophecies of the end time contain instructions about the Sabbath. So it's very, very important for people who are living at the end of this age. Isaiah 56. Thus says the Eternal, Keep you judgment and do justice... For my salvation is near to come, and my righteousness to be revealed. So he says, in a time of the judgment of God, uh, when salvation is near to come, the return of Christ isn't far away, and his righteousness to be revealed, the righteousness of God. So this is speaking of the time of restitution we talked about last week when God is beginning to intervene in the affairs of man, just as he did in the days of Noah. So then he goes on to give instructions with that context. Blessed is the man that does this, and the son of man that lays hold on it. He listens to what was just said in verse 1 very carefully and grabs it. He hangs on to it, okay? that keeps the Sabbath from polluting it and keeping his hand from doing any evil. So when the time is coming, the end of this age is there, he tells us to lay hold on this, to keep the Sabbath, and not to do any other evil. But he, he says expressly the Sabbath, doesn't he? Any other evil could mean any other commands, any other uh, directions by God. But he mentions the Sabbath here in specific. So it must be very, very important at the end time. Very important. Neither let the son of the stranger that joined himself to the Eternal speak, saying, The Eternal has utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree. So if they didn't keep the Sabbath and... God says, that separates you from him. Then the eunuch says, I'm a dry tree. I can't produce anything anyway, so it's not a big deal. For thus says the eternal to the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths, and choose the things that please me, and take hold of my covenant. Even to them will I give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than of sons and of daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. A eunuch could not have sons and daughters because he'd been neutered. And yet God says, a eunuch who was just a servant, when they castrated you, uh, that was so you'd leave all the women alone and you would, you would have got rid of your testosterone and your uh, animosities and your rebellions and the chip on your shoulder and a lot of the pride and ego that people evidence, so that you became a very quiet, resilient servant and would do whatever you were told without question. That's what a eunuch was. But a eunuch says, Well, I'm separated from God, I'm not whole anymore. I'm a dry tree, what difference does it make for me? Well, God says, even the eunuchs that keep the Sabbath are going to be blessed and be higher than a son or a daughter and an everlasting name. That means they'll be in the kingdom of God. And I've stated before that we are eunuchs for the kingdom of God uh, and fit in this context. We cut ourselves off from this world and the things of this world and don't do those things. We don't become involved with them, and we are powerless, aren't we? The church was able to do certain things, uh, but I mean, they, we had a big broadcast, TV, radio, magazines, all kinds of things going all over the world. But remember, there. Isaiah 39, where God told uh, Hezekiah that his sons would become eunuchs in Babylon. In other words, they would have no power. Well, Herbert Armstrong had quite a bit of power that God gave him to do a work. But he says, your sons are going to be eunuchs out there. Now, where is the church today? It's powerless. They can't do a work. There are a few that are trying, and they're not getting anywhere. All their magazines and their broadcasts and all that aren't bringing in new people. In fact, all of those groups are shrinking slowly but inexorably and surely they are shrinking in size. Uh, I was reading about one of them recently in their own publication. I think they said they had 13,000 at the feast this year. Well, a few years ago they had a lot more than that. So it's shrunk considerably. And it's happening throughout the church. So we have become powerless. And that makes us eunuchs in this world on a spiritual level. And yet he says if we keep this Sabbath, that even we who have been spiritual eunuchs and unable to accomplish anything will get eternal life. Christ even said that some make themselves eunuchs for the kingdom's sake. In this case, God just shut off the power from the church and we became spiritual eunuchs because we can't now do anything. Now, he's going to give great power to his church again to do an end-time work, which still has to be done. The gospel has to be preached around the world, and then the end will come. But that is uh, a little ways yet in the future, when the two witnesses start the first day of the tribulation. Up till then, they're supposed to be involved with the church, not with the world. Anyway, continuing about these eunuchs that keep the Sabbath in verse 5, "...even to them will I give in my house and within my walls a place..." And a name better of sons and daughters, and I'll give them an everlasting name, I read that. Also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the eternal, Gentiles, to serve him and to love the name of the eternal, to be his servants, one that keeps the Sabbath from polluting it and takes hold of my covenant. Even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. So he says, whether you are Jew or whether you are Gentile, if you'll keep his Sabbath, you'll follow him and obey him. He'll bring you to his holy mountain. That's the heavenly Jerusalem, which comes down in Revelation 21, and even a type of that, which will come sooner in the form of the temple in Jerusalem and the church. The eternal God, which gathers the outcasts of Israel, says, yet will I gather others to him beside those that are gathered to him. So the Sabbath keeping here in Isaiah 56 is an important key to our future and the future of others who might begin to turn to God. It has salvation or salvational issues or it is a condition of salvation, if you will, among other things. Other things are also conditional for salvation, but the Sabbath is one of them. Now, uh, let's go to Nehemiah, flip back a little bit here. Uh, we'll see a little bit, I don't. this isn't my main point today, but I want us to see a little bit of how God would have us keep the Sabbath. Uh, some of the things that he... Will allow and some things that he will not allow. uh, Here in Nehemiah 10 and beginning in verse 31. And if the people of your land bring wares, uh, things to sell, or any food on the Sabbath day to sell, that we would not buy it of them on the Sabbath or on the holy day, of annual holy day as well as the Sabbath. And that we should, would leave the seventh year in the exacting of every debt. So the seventh year land rest was mentioned here as well as being very important. But here, uh, Nehemiah was upbraiding and giving instruction that if there was anything to be bought or sold on the Sabbath, including food, they weren't to do it. That's been a question in the church for years, is should we go out to eat on the Sabbath? Why not just read the Scripture? The Gentiles bring food. you say, well, they're not Gentiles, they're working on the Sabbath, so I'm not making them work if I go out to buy dinner to eat. No, it says it doesn't matter if they're working, it doesn't matter what they produce. If they provide food that you can buy on the Sabbath, you're not to do it. I think that becomes very, very clear that we're not to go out to eat on the Sabbath, or on the holy days. He says the same thing back in uh, verse thir- chapter 13, verse 16. Uh, or verse 15 In those days saw I in Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in sheaves, and lading asses with wine grapes, and figs, and burdens. And there were men of Tyre also therein, which brought fish, and all manner of goods, and sold on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do and profane the Sabbath day? So here he makes it very clear that if you buy and sell whatever the Gentiles have to offer or work in any way, trading, you know, wine's a good thing to make, (laughs) not on the Sabbath it's not, you profane the Sabbath day. You break it, you destroy it, you ruin it. It isn't holy if you do that on it. Uh, While we're back here in the Old Testament, let's go to Leviticus 25. Uh, One other point I want to make here because it's germane to the whole situation. Leviticus 25. And here, uh, I'll pick it up in verse 4. This is, well, the whole context here is in verse 2. When I give you the land, you'll keep a Sabbath to eternal. So here he's talking about the time when he takes them into the promised land. Joshua would later do that. Take you into the promised land. When you're there, you'll keep a Sabbath to eternal. Six years shall you sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather the fruit. But the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest to the land, a Sabbath for the eternal. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard, and even that which grows of itself you're not to eat. Uh, The Sabbath of the land shall be neat for you. And he goes on to explain how he will cause extra crop to come on the sixth year, and it will keep you through the Sabbath and through the next year when you plant until that harvest comes on, even the eighth year. Very, very important it was to God that they keep the seventh year. Then he goes on and says you count seven Sabbaths of years, and then you'll have a jubilee, the fiftieth year. Seven times seven is forty-nine, and then the, the jubilee. And that is the day, the year, that you proclaim liberty throughout the land. A jubilee. All the land goes back to the original family that it had. All debts are forgiven it's a time of release from slavery, a release from all bonds and bounds and debts and trouble. A year of liberty. Now that ties in with what I was saying last week about the time of restitution. So the land Sabbaths and the 50th year are tied in as part of the Sabbath command. Land, rest, rest. You rest every week, every seven days. The land rests every seven years. And after seven cycles of that, you have a jubilee in which everything is forgiven and changed and goes back to its original owner. Now, that becomes important, too, when we consider where I'm headed with this a little later on. And you'll you'll remember when we put it all together. (coughs) Now... One other prophecy here, and Jeremiah. Well, let's go before there. Let's go to Second uh, Chronicles. Second Chronicles. Uh, here, chapter thirty-six. Second Chronicles, thirty-six. And here we'll go to verse twenty-one. This was an interesting point I, I noticed this morning since we're talking about the land Sabbaths. Verse 21, "...to fulfill the word of the Eternal by the mouth of Jeremiah..." Now, this is an end-time prophecy as well, the book of Jeremiah. "...until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths, for as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years." Now, they had quit keeping the land Sabbath. And when they went into captivity... For 70 years into Babylon, God let the land rest for 70 years. Now, if you go seven years times 70, that represents 490 years worth of history that was being caught up because they had not been keeping the land Sabbath. So it's interesting, you don't simply repent in this case of what had been done wrong, it played catch-up. Now, it says that if you were a thief, that you were to recompense two or three times, uh, depending on the circumstances, what you had stolen. So here, the land Sabbaths, God wanted catch-up to be played. Very, very important. It wasn't something you just dismissed and wrote off and says, let's move on. So during that 70 years, they were in captivity. The land rested. Uh, just, it just underlines how important it is that God would do that and and uh, set it aside that way now jeremiah seventeen uh, in verse twenty two jeremiah seventeen Verse 22, "...neither carry forth a burden <clears throat> out of your homes on the Sabbath day, neither do you any work, but hallow you the Sabbath, as I commanded your fathers. But they, they obeyed not, neither inclined their ear, but made their necks stiff, that they might not hear nor receive instruction." So they ignored the Sabbath day. "...it shall come to pass." If you diligently hearken to me, says the Eternal, to bring in no burden through the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but hallow the Sabbath to do no work therein, then shall there enter into the gates of this city kings and princes sitting upon the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their princes, the men of Judah, and so on, and remain. And this city shall remain forever, and they shall come from the cities of Judah, from the places about Jerusalem and Benjamin from the plain, and bring burnt offerings and sacrifices, and praise the eternal. But if you will not hearken to me to hallow the Sabbath day, and not to bear a burden, even entering in at the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then will I kindle a fire in the gates thereof, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. It will burn them up. So God says, "If you this is an end time prophecy. If you will keep the Sabbath, I will bless you, and it will remain forever. But if you do not keep the Sabbath, you'll be destroyed. It's that simple. So it is a salvational issue for the end time church. Jeremiah is an end time book that we keep the Sabbath. Now we better keep it the way God wants it kept, not just mark time." but to hallow it, to make it holy. Now let's go to Matthew 12. Matthew 12, Christ gives a little instruction and gives some balance on how to keep it. Matthew 12, <coughs> this becomes important to us, <coughs> we know we must keep it. That's very clear from what we've seen. Now, we also know from Nehemiah they weren't to buy food on the Sabbath. No buying and selling to be done on the Sabbath. Well, here we have an example. At that time, Emmanuel went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Behold, your disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God and did he eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests. So David actually committed an uh, an infraction there. It wasn't lawful. But he did it anyway. Now he said, Here, that... They could pluck the corn off the stalk, peel the ear back, if it was uh, ear corn, and eat it on the Sabbath day. Now, the Pharisees wouldn't let you do that. They won't let you tear off toilet paper on the Sabbath. They won't let you turn on or off a light on the Sabbath. Now, where's the balance between and the principle between what God says and what is right to do? The Pharisees would take it on out to the point where all the physical things you couldn't do or had to do became such a burden that you couldn't even relax and enjoy the Sabbath for fear that you would do something wrong. And the Jews are still that way to this day with all of the little ordinances about how far you can walk and what you can do and can't do on the Sabbath. Can't turn on a TV, can't turn off a TV. Just, you know, I don't know whether they change channels or not. (laughs) Still just pushing a button, isn't it? But it gets ridiculous. Somebody wrote an article some time back about leavening. And they've concluded that air is leavening. And if you have a bubble in something, that's leavening. Well, when you have wheat or corn or barley or whatever, and you put heat on it, it will bubble. But the conclusion was that air is leavening. So if you have an air bubble, that's puffed up and it's leavening. An air bubble. Now, if air is leavening, that means that you have to quit breathing for seven days. Because you're taking in leavening. There's yeast in the air. Every breath you take has yeast in it. So if the air is leavening, you can't breathe. That's that's the end of you. I mean, you can get so pharisaical, so easily, just as these were about whether they could pluck an ear of corn. Now they weren't to buy and sell. They weren't to do commerce. But I've gone out in the yard when I when I had plum trees and peach trees and so on in my yard back years ago when I was on, when I owned a farm in Idaho. And uh, asparagus grew on my irrigation ditch banks there. And I'd, I didn't irrigate on the Sabbath, but I'd go out and cut myself a few pieces of asparagus and eat them. And I'd eat a plum off the tree. Uh, you know, I was enjoying the Sabbath. I was out there enjoying the beauty of the things God had made. And for me to pluck and eat a couple of plums... Uh, The Jews would have had a conniption fit over, but Christ wouldn't have. Verse 5, Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? All that they had to go through with the sacrifices and all that were work. Even a sermon on the Sabbath is work. You're tired after it's over. But they are held blameless because it was part of the sacrificial system and holiness. But I say to you that in this place is one greater than the temple, speaking of himself. But if you had known what this means, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Now David was wrong in what he did. But in that case, he and his men were very hungry and God had mercy rather than sacrifice. And here, with the disciples being hungry, they didn't go out and buy a meal from the Gentiles, but they plucked and ate some of what was their handy. So it's wrong to bake bread and make cheese on the Sabbath, but is it wrong to turn a button in order to make a crockpot warm so the food's more palatable? I don't think so. Uh, doesn't take as much energy or effort or thought to turn on a crock pot as it does to peel an ear of corn. That's takes more work to do that. So, you know, we have to have things in balance and get the principle of the thing. It's holy time, and to be kept holy, and you do not do things that take your time and your effort and your energy <coughs> and remove the holiness that ought to be there. The same type of context in Luke thirteen fifteen, where Christ said, uh, "Well, let's go back there." Luke thirteen. Uh, I think it's verse fifteen. I wanted here they were getting all over him for. Uh, well, what was it? Uh, Am I in the right place here? Wait a minute. Oh, I'm in 12. No wonder it wasn't working. 13, verse 15. The Eternal and answered him and said, You hypocrite, do not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering. They, They were getting on him for healing on the Sabbath, just saying, Be healed. And he says, You hypocrites. It takes a whole lot more work for you to go water your animals on the Sabbath than it does for me to, say, be healed. Uh, You have to go out to the corral. You have to open the gate. You have to lead them out to the water and take them back and shut the gate behind them. So he says, it's okay to care for your animals on the Sabbath. They need to drink on the Sabbath just like you do normally. Uh, Does that mean you ought to have a dairy? And, and water a hundred cows on the Sabbath and feed them and milk them. No, there's no way a, a Christian can run a dairy herd because you work all day long running a dairy. Now, if you have a, a few animals and they need to be watered, he says that's one thing. But when you have to work all day, no, your ox and your ass are supposed to be working that day. I mean, are supposed to be resting that day. And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound these eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. So to do good on the Sabbath is okay, he said in another place and might have right here. Uh, he is going to do good for this earth very shortly and it's going to come on the Sabbath. We'll see that. Now, he tells us in Matthew 24, verse 20, to pray that the flight from the army to come at the beginning of the tribulation not be on the Sabbath or in inclement or winter-type weather. be very difficult. So, Is it best not to even flee for your life on the Sabbath? Yeah, it's best not to. So he says, pray that it not happen on that day. Now I ask you, would Satan make it on that day if God in any way allowed him to? You bet he would. (laughs) Anything he could do to disrupt God's people, he will do. So he would cause it on the Sabbath and give an opportunity. So he says, pray God that Satan not be allowed to do that, that it not come on the Sabbath. So the Sabbath is very, very important. We're talking about endangerment of your very life, where he says, don't even go back in the house, because when you see those armies gathering, you go now, and that's, or you're going to die. So if it comes on the Sabbath, you've got a betwixt and between problem there that you're going to have to deal with. So pray. And we should be praying that as the time draws nearer. Now, let's go to Hebrews 4 and begin to pull this together. Hebrews 4. Actually, I want to go to the end of chapter 3 to pick up the context. Uh, Here he's explaining to them how Christ is our apostle and high priest in chapter 3, and how we're to hold fast that which is good and not to have an unbelief, in departing from the living God. Then he picks it up at the end of the chapter 3, and he says, While it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, how be it not all that came out of Mitzrium by Moses. So he's referring back to the time of deliverance from slavery again. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? So he's saying here that God delivered you way back in time through Moses, and you rebelled against God, and all your carcasses, save Caleb and Joshua, fell in the wilderness, and your children went into the promised land. So what he is setting here is a context of deliverance and of the importance of obeying God and not griping, complaining, and murmuring, and breaking the law. And to whom swore he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. So he, God, attached going into the promised land with Joshua as entering into a rest. They had not been at rest in tribe; They had been slaves. They worked seven days a week. 365 and a quarter of a year. Uh, they were abject slaves. And going into their own land that God had set aside, and having the beasts destroyed before them, and having the uh, enemies driven out so that the land would be theirs, and they could rest, that was to be a time of rest for them. But they didn't believe So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. We have to believe. Unless we believe and have faith, we cannot please God. And if we don't please God, He won't want us for Christ's bride. So he says in chapter 4 here to the New Testament church, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into His rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Now, what is the rest that he has promised before us? The millennial rest, okay? We have 6,000 years here of Satan's and man's will being done. And it's not very pleasant. But he promises us a rest to come. And if we don't believe, if we don't follow through, I'll show you my... (laughs) belief by my works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. So he's saying here, that if we want to enter into the millennium, into the rest of God that is to come, we better be paying attention and be fearful, and work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, as he put it in another place. Now, what did I say there about when Adam and Eve were created? God gave a rest. And he gave them perfect uh, conditions. Had they obeyed him, those conditions would have remained that way. There would have never been trouble. But when they disobeyed God, they lost their rest. And he put them out where they would have to work hard by the sweat of their brow and with briars and brambles and lack of rain to eke out an existence on this earth. And many, many people are in that same condition today. We were allowed back into this promised land in Western Europe and the United States, where it's a whole lot easier. but we are polluting and destroying even it. And it is becoming a place where you can't rest. The air's no good, the food's no good, and on and on and on, and we're about to go to war. Again, well we are at war, but we're about to have war on our own shores. So Adam and Eve had a rest and they ruined it. Then God brought them out and delivered them from slavery and they complained and griped and murmured and would not obey God. So they didn't go. It, get to go into the next rest, did they? Their sons and daughters did. And then their sons and daughters disobeyed God and they wound up in the Babylonian captivity, Assyrian captivity. They went into captivity several times. But, they wound up in the Babylonian captivity for 70 years, and God even counted every one of those years as rest years because they had not been keeping His Sabbath and entering into His rest as He had told them to do. They weren't keeping the, the uh, land rest. They also were not keeping the Jubilee. Well, the Jubilee is very, very important. <laughs> it is very important to the rest that we are about to enter because it was announced by Christ on a jubilee in Luke that the acceptable year of the Lord was the Jubilee, and 2,000 years later, uh, the jubilee would come on atonement of 27 or 2027, if you keep it at 50 years. So the rest of God may start at atonement in 2027, the year of liberty. Time when everything is freed and people go into the land to rest. That's what Paul is talking about here. <clears throat> for unto us was the gospel preached, as well as to them. But the word preached did not profit them, for being mixed with uh, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. You can hear the truth, but it doesn't do any good unless you believe it and follow it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. If we're believers, we keep the Sabbath. We enter into rest every week because we know there is a bigger rest scheduled to come. The weekly Sabbath pictures the millennium. We are here to look forward to God's blessings in His kingdom in the millennium, the 7,000 years. That's why it is so important then to keep the Sabbath. Not just that God picked it out and said, okay, here's the Sabbath, I'm going to give you a day off. There's more to it than that. Why we keep it is so very important because it pictures the future, a time when there will be peace, prosperity, blessings, no more for us pain or tears or worry or frustration or anger or upset, absolute total peace is what the Sabbath pictures. God rested it. He hallowed it on it. He hallowed it and made it holy. And he told us to do the same thing. And if you don't keep the Sabbath, you won't enter into the kingdom of God and the millennial rest. Now, we can read a lot of scriptures, and we have a little bit here about on how we are to keep the Sabbath, but why we keep it in some respects, is even more important than how we keep it. Now, it's important how we keep it. There's one I meant to force... Let me interject a thought here. There's a scripture I missed I had in my notes that I meant to uh, bring up. That's Isaiah 58, in terms of how you keep it. This is, a, this is a pivotal chapter, is the reason I'm going back to this. Because it's, the chapter has to do with fasting, and fasting with the right attitude... Uh, to draw close to God so that we might obey Him better and treat our fellow man better. That's what the chapter is about. But then he goes on down and talks about those, verse 12, who will be blessed. And they that shall be of you, that is, you who obey God, shall build the old waste places, you shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach the restorer of paths to dwell in. So those who fast properly for the right reasons to draw close to God, uh, then He will begin to bless them as they deal their bread to the poor. In other words, we treat our neighbors and our brothers the same way we we would treat Christ. Matthew 25. Now, verse verse 13. If you turn away your foot, from the Sabbath. If you get your foot off the Sabbath, this is one of the key conditions to being a repairer of the breach and living forever and raising up the old waste places. We're supposed to raise up Jerusalem and the temple here in the end time, not in the millennium. Here in the end time, and repair those breaches, re- repair the waste places, and Sabbath keeping is so very important to that. Get your foot off the Sabbath from doing your pleasure on my holy day. So we're not supposed to work, and here he fleshes it out. We're not to seek our own pleasures. It's not a day to entertain yourself with television or golf or baseball or bowling or going out to eat or those things which we might do on the other six days. It's not a day to do your pleasures. And you call the Sabbath a delight. It's to be a delightful day. Not one where uh, we just sit morosely, but it is a delightful day. Why is it delightful? Because it pictures in the past the creation of God when everything was perfect. And it pictures in the future the millennium of God when everything will be peaceful and happy and the earth will be restored from the pollution that we've done You can't eat fish out of the Pacific now because they're so contaminated with Fukushima radiation. The earth is being destroyed. God is going to restore it. So that the Sabbath is a time when everything on the earth will be delightful. You won't have to worry about your neighbor killing you. You won't have to worry about being attacked by another country. It'll be peaceful. If somebody starts to disobey, they'll get tapped on the shoulder and say, No, 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 don't do that. This is the way. Walk this way. Now, that's going to be a delightful way to live. So the Sabbath pictures that. So it should be a delight. The holy of the eternal. That means, doesn't it, that we ought to think about God's creation on the Sabbath. Because it's a day to draw near to Him in holiness. Now, what does Romans 1 tell us? He says that you see him through the things that he has created. You don't see God with your eye. You see it by the things that he's made on this earth, which indicate who and what he is. So I have trouble picturing God. I don't know just how big he is. I know he's shaped like we are. But I can't see Him, but I can see trees and birds and grass and mountains and snow and the beautiful things that God has made. And the Sabbath is a wonderful time to spend in your backyard or under a tree or somewhere just observing and watching a little bird feeding and how intricate that is and how that little body is enabled to move around, and how it's able to take something off the ground and swallow it, and it gives him energy, and then how he can lift his wings and fly up in a tree. Now, I want to be some. I want to be with somebody that could make that bird forevermore. That's how I see God. I see the things He's done. I just watch the chickens and the turkeys out my window sometimes in my front yard. And the way they act and interact, and it's a marvel to me how God made those, and how our bodies themselves are fearfully and wonderfully made. <coughs> Look in the mirror, and after you get off the shock, over the shock, understand how incredibly we are put together, <laughs> and how our systems all work, and we can stand up and breathe and talk. So it's to be a delight to delight in the things of God. Both the things, when they were first created, that were so wonderful, and even with all the pollution, this world is still a beautiful place, isn't it? In spite of what we've done to it. And it will be again in the millennium. That's what this is all about. So, don't seek your pleasures. Seek God. And you shall honor Him, not doing your own ways, so we don't do the things that we would do, the things we like to do on the Sabbath, or find our own pleasure, nor speaking your own words even. Our conversation should be more on the things of God, and on God, and holiness, and how to live a Christian life on the Sabbath, so it's not even a time to talk about sports and games and uh, things we like, and uh, what we're going to do all week, and how we're going to go out to eat or whatever on Tuesday. Those things we're not to talk about. Those are our own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the eternal. So your mind should be on God on the Sabbath, not your things. That's a tough chore. You notice how you can be sitting on the Sabbath and your mind can wander to all kinds of things that it shouldn't be on. This is telling you right here not to do, not to allow that. And if you do this, I will cause you to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. I'll take you right back to the promised land. For the mouth of the Eternal has spoken it. So keeping the Sabbath is important. And he has told us, not only the millennium, but he's going to make a... Mini millennium, a small one, with the two witnesses in the end time gathering that is to come to build the temple and Jerusalem and to set an example for the world about how it will be if you would obey God and keep the Sabbath. The part of the mark of the beast is Sunday worship. Now, why can't the Sabbath be just any day of the week? As long as you keep one holy? Well, what if you choose the first day of the week? What does it picture in history? The days from the time Adam sinned until mankind was destroyed because of violence and evil that was on the earth. So you want to keep the Sabbath and you want to think about the first day of man's existence on the earth, the first thousand years? All right, then you'll have to spend the first day of the week thinking about what that day meant. Violence, murder, and hate. So you can spend the first day of the week thinking about violence, murder, and hate. I don't think the first day qualifies. How about the sixth day? That's from about the year 1000 until today, 1100. Well, you can think about the Middle Ages and all the crusades and the murder and mayhem. You can think of the bubonic plague. You can think of... Of uh, the dark ages during that period of time and then even toward the end of that thousand years, the 20th century you can think about world wars and bombings and killings and murders and all the stuff that's gone on in the last century you want to keep the sixth day, Friday as the Sabbath then you can think about that stuff, no I don't think so So, if you do the seventh day, you can think about the beauty of God's creation. You can think about the peace and the happiness that is to come. That's how you glorify God, and you have your mind on Him and what He said He is going to do. So Hebrews 4 becomes very important. Verse 4, For He spoke of a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, Genesis 2, and God did rest the seventh day from all His works, And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. He's referring to Psalm 96 or 11 there. Seeing therefore it remains that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Didn't go into the promised land. And here we are on the cusp of the promised land once again at the end of 6,000 years. The time when man has done his thing and Satan's thing. Again he limits a certain day. A certain day, he limits it to that, saying in David, Today, the Sabbath, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if the man who had given them rest, then they would be not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest to the people of God. There is something in the future. He's speaking of the millennium there. For he that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. And when we enter into the millennium, we'll be there to do God's work, to bless, to help, to prosper, to strengthen, to guide the people in the millennium. God's work. So let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, not just the weekly Sabbath, but the big one to come, the thousand years of rest. They were already keeping the weekly Sabbath, but they were to labor to enter into that future rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief, because God's word is powerful and sharp and divides and conquers. So he said that the Sabbath will get the sword of God after you if you don't keep it. A very, very important time. So it has to be the seventh, the seventh thousand years. Satan will be bound. Mankind will be ruled by Christ himself, and the Father will be here on the earth. And you will not be allowed to sin. You'll be stopped. No, this is the way. Walk you in it. So the seventh thousand years will be a total change from the first 6,000 years. So we labor to enter into that rest. And put, we put God first and foremost in every activity, and we also, you and I, look forward to the beginning of the times of restitution, when God says that during the time of the two witnesses and the gathering of His remnant flock, that He will heal, the lame will walk, the deaf will hear, the blind will see. Uh, we'll have all the food, come and have milk and wine and our honey. Without price, it's going to be a time of peace and rest for the remnant of the church. And they will be used as an example to the rest of the world of what it will be like if you keep God's Sabbath, and He will bless you. And they will have the millennium preached to them. That Christ is going to return and set up a thousand-year time of peace. Well, the beast and the false prophet will have tried to set up their millennium of peace. But it won't be peaceful, will it? There will be war all over the world. Satan will be killing as many people as he possibly can at the beginning of what they call their new millennium with their new world government. It will be a time of great horror. So the witnesses will have a pretty easy time of saying, look, these people in Zion are obeying God. they got all kinds of blessings. They're at rest. You're not obeying God. You're keeping Sunday, and you're buying and selling you got the mark of the beast, and you're dying. Now, if you want deliverance from this, turn and repent and obey God, and we'll have a thousand years of real rule of God, not the beast and Satan. So that's the basis on which I asked us to pass today, is that we anticipate the time of 924 of Haggai, that God will begin to bless his people, and through the signs and wonders that he is going to give, at the time that this starts, people will be stirred to come, and they'll get the message that the temple has to be built. So the reason I fasted today was, I'm praying for a time of deliverance just as Daniel was, that we have sinned and come short of God's glory, and he has scattered us and vomited us out spewed us from His mouth, and now we need repentance and obedience and wholehearted worship of God so that we can enter into the mini-rest here at the end and into the big rest of the millennium. So the Sabbath day is very, very important. That's why we keep it. How we keep it is given to us, but why we keep it is so that it might be fulfilled in the thousand years of man's existence with peace, prosperity, and blessing. That's why we keep the Sabbath.